What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It's Monday, April 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America. After a roller coaster year of remote learning and school closures due to the pandemic, many parents may be feeling powerless as they face the possibility of their children being held back. This particular situation deals with third graders across the country who are not reading at the appropriate grade level. 18 states have laws on the books where students must be held back if they don't meet the requirements, and many students have fallen behind. In Tennessee, some estimates say that nearly 66% of third graders don't meet English language standards. Carly Citrin, education reporter at Politico, joins us for more. Thanks for joining us, Carly. Thanks so much for having me. One of the most interesting things to me that has developed over the course of the pandemic is what has happened with our education system, with our students, with our teachers. We know it's been the big disruptor of our lives uh, the past couple of years now, and the education system took a huge hit. We heard all the stories, the roller coaster ride of remote learning, in-person learning, back and forth, back and forth. And then obviously the anxiousness that teachers and students have as well for contracting COVID-19. But one of the interesting things that you wrote about here is about students possibly being held back after this year of remote learning. And we've seen a lot of people say that a lot of our students are behind so far. You know, it, it just was just so difficult to really keep that learning curve up. And there's a number of states, I think it's 18 states, that have laws on the books that, uh, and this is key to third grade, which is also an interesting thing, that if they don't pass certain requirements in reading, that they could be held back. So this is a a thing that a lot of families are going to be looking for to this next year happening. Uh, So Carly, tell us a little bit more about this. These third grade reading laws were kind of a, a fad policy a couple years ago, starting in like 1998 and in the early 2000s with Jeb Bush down in Florida, who was then governor. And the idea is that in the third grade, kids are no longer kind of learning to read, but they're reading to learn, which means reading then becomes a part of all of their studies moving forward. You're thinking word problems in math, 
all sorts of reading scientific papers, science class, things like that. And so all these kind of states, more so, you know, over the last couple of years, started enacting these policies that say, look, if you can't read at a third grade level in third grade, we're going to hold you back until you can to make sure that you have what you need to move forward and be successful. And the reasons a lot of these policies were passed were kind of twofold. One, it was to help improve national scores, national test scores, and, and boost state rankings so that they could access additional federal funding and all sorts of other stuff. But it was also as kind of a way to hold schools accountable to pay attention to literacy and the importance that it plays in students' lives. And so the folks who passed these bills were kind of trying to say, like, we really need to focus on this really crucial part in kids' lives. And so over the years, these policies have been enacted and, and pushed through, in some cases, without a lot of teacher or parent involvement, driven kind of at the lawmaker governmental policy level, not so much with, with teachers and educators. But now what we're seeing is, you know, it was fine to have all these laws in place and policies in place before, but now that kids have, have, you know, run into these learning loss or unfinished learning situations this year, these policies could kick in and, and really target an outsized number of kids that was kind of unthinkable many years ago. So that's what folks yeah. are a little afraid of this year. Yeah, as you mentioned in your article, the, a lot of these decisions aren't made by parents and teachers or their children, but by state officials because these laws have been passed. So let's get into some of the bad news, though, as you, you're alluding to right now. So in Tennessee... They say that nearly 66% of third graders are not meeting English language standards. So they could be flagged for this type of retention uh, under these new laws. In Michigan, one of the 18 states who also has a, a decline in literacy programs, pre-pandemic, there was about 5,000 third graders, they said, could be identified for retention. They say because of the pandemic, that number could have quadrupled. So it is a serious concern for a lot of parents and students. What's also really complicated and what we're seeing kind of at a national level is these patchwork of policies. So, so different states address it differently. In, in Michigan, there is funding and money for literacy coaches and for grade monitoring and to take efforts to help the kids so that, yeah, you may be flagged for attention, but, you know, there are good cause exemptions. There are things you can do to get up to speed. In other states, there isn't even a mandatory notification to parents. So in some states, the schools don't even have to tell parents if their kid has been targeted for retention. It's such a varied picture across the country. And, in, you know, in some places, there's funding for wraparound services and for all sorts of other things and summer school programs. And in other states, the money just isn't there. And there's a real fear that you could be in one of the states where you might not even know that this policy was passed right. in Tennessee it went through in a rushed session in, in three days without even a chance for teachers or parents to kind of testify on the bill to lawmakers. So from what the one uh, Democratic House member told me was like, you know, by the time she could reach out and get in touch with teachers and parents and tell them this policy was being considered, it was already done. So how is this going to play out? Because a lot of this is tied to standardized testing. So in general, and just my experience, right, going to school, you know, if a kid is failing his subjects in his classes, pretty likely you're going to have to be held back or try to make up some of those things. But this is tied to standardized testing. So they have to wait till the next school year and take those tests and then they'll decide if they have to go back. And then do parents have any recourse? I noticed in your article they can request good cause exemptions possibly to keep moving their, their students forward. But, you know, is that the only mechanism they have for remedying this? 
So the Biden administration this year has been really kind of flexible with these waivers. Some states have received standardized testing waivers that say you don't have to test this year. Others have not received the waivers or their waivers have been rejected in part, which means some states are moving ahead with their tests. So it really all depends on what the federal government has said to each state's education department and whether or not these tests will be taken. But a lot of states are moving forward with standardized testing this year. And if so, then third graders are going to be subject to the tests. And if their governments have not made a decision or if their education departments have not made a decision about the retention portion, then it's going to go forward as planned. And that could mean that, you know, a year without preparation for standardized tests, even a a test that some advocates say doesn't even properly measure reading attainment could be used as the basis for a lot of these retention decisions. In terms of, yeah, these good cause exemptions, I do want to be clear that in most states, there is a way. So it's not automatic, you know, case closed, you're held back. Like there are in many states ways to either boost grades, attend summer school, show you're making some kind of effort to achieve and work with districts and school leaders to kind of say, hey, I I don't want this. I want to fight for my kid to move forward. This isn't the best thing for them and kind of fight your way out or, or chase down these good cause exemptions. But in many cases, these take a lot of time and effort and showing up to meetings after meetings. And for a lot of working parents, it's not necessarily part of the plan. Proponents of these retention policies, they say it's not about holding kids back. It's about improving literacy. But on the flip side of that, when kids do get held back, there's a lot of self-esteem issues that go along with it. There's stigma attached to it, you know, or the kids being labeled dumb or slow or think, you know, whatever the case may be, there's a lot that's attached to it by being held back. And, you know, that can affect them in many ways down the line as well. I think in speaking with the parents, even the parents who made the decision to hold their kids back, what they really wanted to emphasize with me is that this should be a family decision and this should be a parental decision made in concert with school leaders and and teachers and the student, you know, him or herself or themselves to kind of have the data and the research at hand and say, we know what could happen, but we are making this decision because it is what's right for us at this time. You know, it could be because of mental health issues this year, or, or even in some cases, I've heard families saying, my child missed out on a year of sports that could have been really important for gaining scholarships or or gaining sports opportunities in college in the future. And so what folks have told me is this shouldn't be a governmental decision. This shouldn't be a decision made at the top level because a governor or a lawmaker wants to improve scores. This should be a decision based on the individual student because they're the ones that have to go through this and confront the stigma and some of the negative consequences attached. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I've just been very interested in how all this has played out. I I saw it firsthand with my sister and dealing with her three kids. All three of them had to Mm -hmm. do the remote learning, and I was just checking up on her constantly. How are you guys doing? How are the kids doing? Just to see what their progress was. And luckily, they were okay. I mean, they were doing fine. I'm sure there is some deficit that they miss from being in person, being taught in person. But luckily, they would do their lessons and all that. But still, I feel like they were missing a lot of stuff. And, and, you know, so I talked to my sister about that. I was just very interested in that. And and one of the parents you profiled in your article, Sonia Thomas, you know, she turned some of her experience into action with this. She went through this emotional, complex kind of decision to hold her son back. But she made it in concert with him, too. He also agreed that they 
how to do it. But so she started an organization that would help other parents to deal with this type of thing as well. It's such a fraught and such a tricky, complex and emotional issue. And it's so individual that what Sonia Thomas's point was to me was that parents should at least have all the information and data and policy in front of them so that they can help make these decisions, right? Like, this is such a, a really impactful and really heady, difficult decision. And it's not one that should be taken lightly. And it's not one that should be taken just looking at a couple studies and saying, oh, this is going to have negative impacts on my kid. Forget it. We are against it. And that, you know, you really have to talk to your kid and take in their interest into account. And she said in her case, her son was like, I don't feel ready. I don't feel that I'm reading on the same level as my peers. I'm not ready to go into a high school, a new high school during a pandemic with new virtual learning and where I'm not going to know anyone. And so they made the decision to, to keep him back. And she said it's a decision she does not regret by any means. But, you know, that being said, she said she respects everyone's ability to make the decision that's right for them and that it shouldn't be up to the state to dictate whether or not a child needs to be held back and that it should be something that's coming from the ground up. Right. I mean, this is going to be a really interesting discussion to see how it plays out as well as the school year starts ending, the new year starts coming up. I know there's a lot of summer school programs. So, I mean, this is really, I I think, is going to take off this type of discussion coming up pretty soon. So, you know, we'll keep monitoring it and see what happens. But for now, a, a real concern for a lot of parents and students out there across the country. Carly Citrin, education reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget that for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.